Hi, this is John Hemminghouse speaking for the Beacon of Hope broadcast. Almost everyone knows that the God of the Bible has declared strict rules for morality, but is it possible for religious leaders to make up rules that are even stricter than God himself intended? The situation that led to this sermon of Jesus was a case where religious leaders of Christ's day had added extra requirements to God's word. Believe it or not, they criticized our Lord's disciples on how they washed their hands. Christ said that such extra regulations led to vain worship. I pray that you will find Jesus' words in this sermon both instructive and encouraging as Pastor Jones deals with the first part of Christ's sermon on vain or empty worship. I want to thank you for tuning in to our broadcast again today. We're coming to a new sermon of Jesus, one that he uh, gave in, in the, probably the middle of a field as he's talking to a group of religious leaders who were criticizing his disciples. And um, it's all about vain worship, uh, empty worship, worship that does not, um, does not impress God and does not do uh, really us any good. Matter of fact, does more harm than good. Um, and there are many times when, as the Apostle Paul warned uh, the church of Corinth, that you come together for the worse instead of for the better. And so it's very serious. And I, I've just found, as as I've studied the, the messages that Jesus actually preached in his ministry, they're just fascinating to me and and so bold and and straightforward and um, really exactly what his audience needed to hear. And uh, that's why I can, un- I can certainly understand those who heard him saying, no one ever taught like this man. And so we come to Matthew chapter 15. Uh, the message actually uh, g- uh, runs from verses uh, 1 down to verse 20. And we'll see how far we get. Um, verses 1 to 9 deals with the reasons for vain worship. And then verses 10 to verse 20 deals with the remedies for vain worship. And so, again, we'll see how far we get into it, but let's before we get started, let's ask God's blessing upon His Word. Father, we thank You for the privilege of being able to study Your Word and to uh, be able to uh, uh, just basically tell people what Jesus actually said in His time on earth. And I pray that You will bless this time and accomplish what You want through it. We just rejoice at this opportunity. I want to thank You for every person that's willing to listen, and we pray that You might bless them for that. And open our hearts that we might not just understand your word, but do it. We pray this for your, for your honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll start out by um, looking at one of the reasons for vain worship, and that is that it, uh, we focus on insignificant issues. And so Matthew chapter 15, starting with verse 1, says, Then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Now, um, you need to pick up on a couple details. Why does Matthew mention that these religious leaders are from Jerusalem? Well, that was the center of Judaism. The temple was there. That's where the, the, the greatest leaders considered in Judaism, the Sanhedrin, that would be like their, their ruling senate. They, they didn't have a king at this point. Uh, the Romans were dominating the Jewish people, but their, their number one ruling body, the Sanhedrin, would meet there. The temple was there. Uh, it'd be like the Washington, D.C. of our country, only with, with far greater significance for the Jewish person because it's not only the political center, but it's the religious center 
of the nation. And um, uh, so th- th- these people um, who are, are rabbis from Jerusalem, they, they would, many of them would consider themselves to have a kind of a leg up on everybody else. Um, they're the cream of the crop. It's sort of like being from West Point if you're in the army. Uh, or from Annapolis, if you were in the Navy, the idea is that you uh, you're, you're you're coming out of the of the, of the the place where everything is supposed to be the best of the best, and so these rabbis uh, are not looking at Christ with any kind of a of a uh, humility. It's obvious from their comments; they're looking more for faults. Now they don't see any faults necessarily in Jesus, but they see them in his disciples on this issue of not washing their hands when they're eating, supposedly, um, when they're eating bread. Now, um, that seems like a pretty small issue to me. Uh, uh, it seems like we get so important, uh, we get so so focused on how we stack up to other people. Um, you know, but in, 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 in uh, circles like myself, pastor, sometimes, it, well, what school did you go to? Where did you study? Um, you know, how prestigious is the, the university or the seminary in which you went? Um, th- those type of things. And we can all get into this uh, foolishness where we're stacking up or comparing ourselves to each other. And, and the Word of God says that when you compare yourselves among yourselves, you're not wise. Um, that, that's, that's a foolish thing to do. But anyway, so these, these men have found fault in, in Jesus' disciples not washing their hands when they eat bread. Now, uh, it's not that these they were worried about a, a, a cleanliness issue. Uh, they were they were mo- far more interested in this tradition. You'll notice how they said it. Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? Now, um, uh, it, it, this happened in, in Judaism. It, it also has happened in Christianity over the years, and that is that... that um, We'll take Judaism for the example, since Jesus is, is dealing with that issue. Uh, we, the, the, the Ten Commandments were given somewhere around 1400 B.C. And so in that 1400 years, not only the Ten Commandments were given, but the, the, the Jewish law found in the first five books of the Old Testament, were, those laws were given. They, the Jews numbered them out. There's 613 major laws. They have the Ten Commandments, which is their major moral structure. But then over the years, you, you have all kinds of legal issues that happen as you, as you have a nation. Of, uh, you know, about, about 1,400 years worth of, of, of different cases that would come up. And so the judges that would rule on different uh, aspects, for instance, uh, uh, you're not supposed to uh, work on, on Saturday, on the Sabbath. Well, what's considered work? Um, for instance, um, here's a guy and he wants to travel to his neighbor's house and spend some time with his neighbor. Well, when does that walk to his neighbor's house go from just a leisure something that would be uh, acceptable on the Sabbath day to work? So they actually would define how far one should walk on the Sabbath day. Uh, they had all kinds of traditions along this, and, and some of them would, would, would make sense, and other ones would, would be particularly foolish. But the problem became that these traditions that were being passed down, um, these called the traditions of the elders here, became sometimes more um, significant in the minds of the people, uh, specifically the religious leaders, than was, was the actual words of God himself. 
And so you have this tradition that had been built up as to how to wash your hands ceremonially to to make sure that you are ceremonially clean when you're going to eat. And this became a big deal to these people. Um, One rabbi said, whoever eats bread without washing hands is as if he lay with a whore. Um, Another uh, man says, whoever despises washing hands shall be rooted out of the world. Um, there was uh, uh, another one that said, else, uh, it is said that he that blesses food with defiled hands is guilty of death. And um, again, here's another rabbi, whoever does not wash his hands as is fitting, again, this is the tradition, although he is punished above, he shall be punished below. So the idea seems to be that, and, and again, it's not just, not just you know, right now we're in the middle of a pandemic, you know, wash your hands frequently. It's not talking about that. It's talking about a, a certain way you'd have so many drops of water drop off your elbow. I mean, it was, it was this whole ceremony in order to cleanse yourself from the impurities, many times of being around a Gentile people or something, that, something else that would defile you. And Jesus did not practice this. And his disciples were not practicing it either. And that is the criticism here. Now, um, uh, so it had to do with man, man-made rules that had become a test for spirituality. Today we call this majoring on the minors. And let me point out uh, another passage that Jesus will actually deal with this extensively, another message of Christ. It's in Matthew chapter 23, which if you want to read um, a, a Christ's words on attacking hypocrisy in the name of religion. I tell you, there, I don't think there's another thing that compares with what Jesus had to say in Matthew 23. And he's saying this to many of the same type of people. I don't know if they're exactly the same um, uh, audience. It's not the same audience, but there, there may have been you know, some others that, that have been in both locations. But he's talking to, to, to rabbis, to, to religious leaders of his day, about these type of issues of hypocrisy. Here's what he says in Matthew 23, verse 5, but all the works they do to be seen by men. Now, that's a real problem. And it's not just something for Jewish people in Jesus' day that he was dealing with. That's true of Christian people today. That's true of of, of preachers like myself. We can just do things in order to look good in the sight of man, not really concerned about how God views us. And he gives a couple examples that would fit his day. He said, they make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. Now, the phylactery was, um, was a, a pouch that often would be tied either to the head or to the wrist. Uh, and it was based upon a passage back in Deuteronomy where God had said to his people, I want you to make my word like frontlets between your eyes. And the idea that God was trying to say in that was that you should, you should have my word be the thing that's going to influence what you're thinking. And, and so he said, tie it about your head and, and, and bind it around, around, around the, uh, your, your, uh, your, your, your hands. He said, he said, God talked about uh, putting it upon your gates. And so the, the Jewish people took that very literally, and they, they made pouches of Scripture. They didn't wear them all the time. They don't wear them all the time, even today. But in special times, maybe the Sabbath day or special ceremonies, they'll wear those pouches. And, and many of them will have some type of a pouch of Scripture on their gates or at their doorpost. And others, um, uh, again, may wear them on their wrist. Well, 
Well, there's, that's, that's a wonderful thing. If it's reminding you of God's Word, the fact that you want to remind yourself, okay, I need to think more on God's Word, let it influence my thinking. I need to let God's Word influence like my, or my wrist or my hand, what I do and how I do it. That's, that's, if that's a reminder for you, that's great. But there were some um, people that got the brilliant idea that, well, maybe, uh, maybe I could make my uh, phylactery, my, my pouch, bigger than the other person's pouch. And that would then make me look more spiritual because I'm, I'm obviously showing a greater reverence for God's Word because maybe I can stuff more of the scroll into it, although I doubt that that would necessarily be so. But the idea is that I can make it look bigger. I can make it, I can make it look like I care more about God's Word than somebody else does. And Jesus said, it's just hypocrisy. You're not worried about, you're not worried about pleasing God. You're worried about looking good before man. He went on in Matthew chapter 23, gives some other examples of this. In verse 16, he says, Woe to you blind guides who say, Whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obliged to perform it. Now these were actually things that they, some of their rulings, some of their traditions that they were developing, that that you could actually uh, swear, you know, I, I, I swear this is true, by the, by the very temple of God. That you would actually get away with lying with. Uh, but if you swear by the gold that's on the temple, now you're guilty. Can you imagine the foolishness of this? Um, uh, verse 17, fools and blind. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? Obviously, the temple's more important than the gold is. Uh, yeah, he said, and whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. So again, they could they could make a promise, an oath, make it by the very altar of God. Well, that's nothing, but if they swear by the gift that is on it, they're obliged to perform it. So it was a way of, of honestly, <laughs> I say it honestly, it was a way of, of being able to lie uh, using different tactics of, uh, you know, different word plays. Clearly, Jesus is saying this is hypocrisy. He goes on, fools and blind, which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by all things on it. He that swears by the temple swears by, uh, by him who dwells in it. He's saying, you, when, when you give your word and you're swearing by the temple, you're really swearing by God. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. What Jesus is saying is, is you're, you're not even thinking about the things that are more important. You're focused on your insignificant issues. Justice, doing what is right, mercy, showing kindness and compassion toward people, and genuine faith in God, these are a whole lot more important than whether or not you wash your hands ceremonially or you uh, which which words you used when you swore the, to be telling the truth. Now, what Jesus is saying, he's, he, he is saying, well, it goes on, he says, these ought you to have done and not to leave the other undone. He said they were actually, in his day, they were actually weighing out the spices in their cupboards and making sure that they tied those spices. And he's, he's saying, look, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, you want to give 10% of everything, and that includes the spices in your cupboards? Great. But you're going to emphasize that? That's going to make you more spiritual than the person who uh, 
who who simply is is trying to uh, uh, trying to walk with God? That's the foolishness that Jesus is pointing out. That's the hypocrisy that he's pointing out. Jesus went on to say they were blind guides who strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Boy, if that isn't true of so many times that not just these people in Jesus' day, we can run into the same attitudes in our own hearts, beginning to compare ourselves with other people. And let me just give you some some, um, characteristics of those who uh, will start majoring on things that are, are really not important issues and focusing on the insignificant instead of what truly matters to God. Uh, the first characteristic you'll find is you will have a hard time seeing vain worship in your own life. When you're focused on things that are not truly significant, you may be able to see that in somebody else, but you have a hard time seeing your own life. And a good example of this is none other than the Apostle Paul before his conversion. It's rather interesting. He says in Galatians chapter 1, in verse 13 and 14, Uh, while he's describing himself before his conversion to Christ. He says, "For, For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. That's exactly what these people were disputing with Jesus over. They wanted him and his disciples to follow the, the, the traditions of the fathers uh, instead of the word of God. They were not as concerned about the bigger issues like righteousness and justice and mercy, those type of things. They weren't concerned about that. They were concerned about, are you washing your hands right? And you'll find that if, if you're one of those people that, that focuses on the insignificant, you're going to have a hard time seeing it in your own life. You better honestly. It'd be better to talk to somebody who knows you pretty well and is honest, is willing to be honest with you. Why? Because what is truly an issue of little to no significance in in real life looks like a big issue to you when you're focused on it. Um, it's uh, so it, it's evaluating your spirituality by outward tan, uh, tangible results. Um, and, and kind of looking at, okay, well, uh, you know, am I, uh, you know, is my phylactery bigger than somebody else's phylactery? Do I have a, the uh, same idea with the borders of their garments? They, Jesus had um, uh, commented on that as well. Well, what was going on was they were, um, they were told in, in the Old Testament uh, to make blue uh, part of their uh, borders of their garments, as, and, and they would have tassels. Maybe you've seen some Jewish people with tassels, and what that's all about is they're trying to remind themselves of God's word and obeying it. And again, if you'll use it for that, and you're trying to, hey, I want to remember to keep God's commandments, and, and often they'll have 613 different strands, which reminds them of the 613 commandments of the Old Testament law. But what Jesus is saying is, guess what? Some of them had gotten the idea that if my border is, is wider than your border, then I'm showing myself more spiritual. And so this, again, was not something that Jesus merely dealt with in his day. We have, we have uh, people who call themselves Christians today who are very much concerned about things that are, are, are quite minor in the, in the scope of eternity. And the Apostle Paul deals with some of these things in Romans chapter 14, in the first 13 verses. Listen to what he has to say here. I'm starting at verse 1, Romans chapter 14. Receive one who is weak in the faith 
but not to disputes over doubtful things. So even in the first century church, there were some, and Paul calls them under inspiration of God, he calls them weak in the faith. And they were they would cause disputes over things that really weren't even clear. Doubtful things is what Paul calls them. For one believes, here's the first example, that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Now, um, uh, there's nothing wrong with being a vegetarian. Uh, my, my wife, uh, years ago, uh, uh, about, well, eight to ten years ago, was uh, diagnosed with bladder cancer. And as a result of that, um, we began to pray and ask God, now, what do we do? Because bladder cancer has a high rate of, um, of coming back on people. And so we began to pray about that. And, and as we prayed and sought the Lord's um, uh, grace and wisdom, we felt in our situation, and again, I'm emphasizing our situation, because cancers are, 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 are so different, and how they relate to each body is so different. But in our situation, we just felt like the best way for us to go was that Molly would eat a lot of raw foods and would... Um, and would go on the vegan diet, not even to vegetarian diet, but she would even go on the vegan diet. We felt like that might help her um, to fight the cancer. And in God's graciousness, whether that was uh, a major issue or not, God has, has determined that that cancer has not come back on my wife, and we have been very grateful for the good health that she's enjoyed. Uh, but we don't give the credit to the vegan diet we give the credit where it belongs to the fact of God and His graciousness. Now, do we sometimes let people know who are battling cancer? This is what we did, certainly. But we're, we try to make sure we don't give the credit to this diet that she's on. The Lord, the Lord is the one who, who determines who lives and who dies, not us. And, and so, yes, we try to do some things that are wise. But now, the problem in, that Paul is dealing with here in Romans 14 are people who believe that everybody should be a vegetarian. And that's, that's, a different, that's a different issue than whether I feel like myself, for my health and for my benefit, I should be a vegetarian. And so what Paul says is the person who's weak eats only vegetables. He's not saying that, that um, uh, it's unspiritual to be a vegetarian, but he is saying this, if you think everybody's supposed to be a vegetarian, you're weak in the faith. You really don't get it. You're making a dispute over something doubtful. And can I, can I just, I, I, I don't know who I'm talking to this morning, but can I just ask a very, a very tough question to those of you that may think, you know, really, I'm more spiritual than, than, than everybody else because I don't eat meat. Again, my wife has been off meat for uh, almost 10 years. But are you, are you saying that you're more spiritual than Jesus Christ himself? Why do I say that? Because what did Jesus eat the night before his crucifixion? Do you remember? He ate the Passover with his disciples. He also had the Lord's Supper, but he ate the Passover with his disciples. And what do you eat at the Passover? Well, one of the, the major, the main course is lamb. A lamb that was sacrificed uh, as a covering for man's sin. It was a picture of the cross. Some of you might like to say, well... That was before Jesus died on the cross, and now that he's died on the cross, uh, um, then, then now we, we shouldn't eat meat. Um, let me ask you this. Is a fish an animal? I don't think um, most of us uh, 
would have any problem answering that question, that certainly a fish is an animal. Uh, what is it that Jesus uh, ate to demonstrate his, the reality of his resurrection in front of his disciples? He asked for a piece of fish, broiled fish, and, and a honeycomb. He could have asked for something else. He could have asked for bread. He asked for a piece of fish. On, on uh, one of the times when Jesus appeared to his disciples after his resurrection, uh, when they came to shore, they found bread and fish that Jesus was preparing for them. So I ask you again, are, are you more moral than God? And I think there are many people today who actually flatter themselves. And can I be honest? You're lying to yourself if you think you are more moral than, than God is. If you think you love animals more than God does, uh, who created them, who gives them their every meal, who uh, looks after them, who was the author of what they look like and their, per- their, their different uh, habits and etc. If you think you have a greater morality toward animals than God does, you're just fooling yourself. And I think it's time that we as Christians understood that there's a lot of, um, of self-righteousness by those who are, un- who are non-Christian in thinking that somehow you know, we have a better morality system and, and you may try to poke holes in what you think is uh, the, the, where Christianity doesn't make sense to you. But can I just say that whatever system you're going to come up with, when you throw God out and you throw His Word out, you're going to end up with a mess. And you are not more moral than God is. You are not. And so, now again, does that mean that it's wrong to be a vegetarian? Absolutely not. Again, my wife um, is profited from it. We're not going to touch that. She's going to, in all probability... Um, pretty much stay on the vegan diet until she goes home to be with the Lord, or the Lord calls her home in, in whatever way He wants to. Not because, again, in the vegan diet we trust, but we figure, why, why, why mess with this? She, God's blessed her, and um, but we don't think that everybody has to eat that way. And so that's what the Apostle Paul is telling us here. So don't focus on some minor thing. Don't one believes he may eat all things. One who is weak eats only vegetables, and he's not. A week because he eats the vegetables, he's weak because he thinks that everybody needs to do the same. And that's the point. Now notice verse 3 of Romans 14. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. So you got a friend, and he honestly thinks, I, I, I need to be a vegetarian. Don't despise that guy. He has every right to do that. And, and, and just like when my wife, we go to somebody's house and we, we try to let people know ahead of time that, that certain things that she can't eat, but that's not always able, able to do that. She's going to eat what she can. And we hope that people won't get mad, angry with her because that she's, um, she's not eating everything that they put out. Um, and, and so Paul clearly tells us here under inspiration, don't, don't be angry with the person who does not eat and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. The idea is, is okay, the person says, well, I, I, I believe in being a vegetarian. That's fine. But just don't judge the person that's not. Now, why? There's a principle here. In verse 4, Who are you to judge another man's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. The idea is this. I, I'm not the master. God is. And I've got a brother or sister. Now, if, if again, if they're doing something clearly against God, I'm encouraged by the Lord to try to encourage the, the downtrodden. I'm encouraged by the Lord to try to help those who are going the wrong direction. Okay, we are, We're told by the Lord to do those type of things. But it is not my job to stand back and, and judge that I am better 
than than uh, Joe over here because uh, I because I don't eat meat and he does, or I don't have the right um, to uh, to say that. Well, I'm you know, I, I have my phylactery and it's bigger than yours, and so therefore I'm more spiritual than you are. Now he gives another example in verse five of Romans fourteen. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. All right, so there are certain people that believe that you should only worship on a certain day. Some of them, it's uh, Sunday. Some of it's Saturday. Now, they're not saying that you can't worship God every day of the week. I think we all know that. But, the, but, their, but their point is that, that, that you should observe a Sabbath of rest and worship on one particular day of the week. And again, for some people, they are convinced it should be Saturday, which is the original um, of the Ten Commandments. When you're talking about, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy, the Sabbath there was Saturday. It's not Sunday. So there's some that would observe that and say, well, I believe Saturday is the day of worship, and there's nothing wrong with that. Now, there are other people that might say, well, I think Sunday is the day of worship, and there's there's a, 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 a very... A solid Christian uh, understanding of that, that since Jesus rose from the dead on that day, and actually uh, you'll find that that's when uh, the offerings were being taken, so it, it sounds like that's when public worship was happening. You find that in, in, the, in the book of, um, of 2 Corinthians, I believe. So there's, there are times when it seems to be indicating, it, and, and the Apostle John in, in Revelation Chapter 1 says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And it seems to be, when he's talking about the Lord's day, he seems to be talking about the day of Jesus' resurrection. And so many of us would believe that Sunday um, is kind of replaced in the, in the Christian understanding. It's replaced. Uh, Saturday is our day of worship. And I think you can go back through church history and you'll see that uh, uh, repeated. But here's the deal. I, I, I know Christian people, and they, and they believe they should worship on Saturday. There are other Christian people that believe believe you should worship on Sunday. Um, And then there are other Christian people that may not have that option. Um, For instance, if you were saved in in the era um, of of the first century, and even some places today, let's say that you were born again and you're living in a a Jewish community, and they're not going to do any business on, on Saturday. So you're going to lose that business day already. Now, if you take another Sabbath on Sunday, you're losing now you're losing a second business day of the week. And so you can understand how uh, what 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 if your employer is Jewish, he's going to take Saturday off and he expects you to be working on Sunday. Uh, or you don't have a job. It's not as easy as just simply saying well, this is going to be my day. Now, for some of you, you may be able to do that. And and by the way, that's when I was a teenager even, one of the things when I would apply for a job, I would say, I'm not working on a Sunday. Why? Not because I thought that Sunday was the new Sabbath. I was doing that because I wanted to make sure I had I was able to worship God. I wanted to be in church. That was the big reason. Now, he goes on, he says this, One person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully persuaded or convinced in his own mind. So, he's giving actually liberty for even a, a third option, and that is, I believe every day is, is, is a day of worship, and, and I, I'm not going to necessarily take one specific day, but I'm going to worship God every day. Now, let me explain. Let's say you're a doctor or you're a nurse. Let's say that you're an ambulance worker. Yeah, you may the, the, the hospitals aren't going to shut down on Saturday or Sunday. 
and and they shouldn't. And and the ambulance crew can't just say, well, well, I I, I can't go out. It's 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 Saturday, or I can't go out. It's Sunday. Uh, and I think we we all of us should have that understanding. So there are some people that believe that I, I I'm just I'm going to worship God every day. Obviously, you want to set aside time for public worship, whatever whatever house of worship, and and, and it should be a, a place where the Word of God is teaching Jesus Christ is exalted and the cross is 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 uh, exalted, and the fact that Jesus literally ro- rose from the dead is talked about, and salvation is by faith in Christ and not by works. But if you're going to a place that's a Bible-believing church, where they're actually studying the Word of God and teaching the doctrines of Christ, uh, uh, it's, 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 you want to be in that public worship as much as you can. But everybody doesn't have the same opportunity. I have people in my church, um, and I'm actually one of them, uh, that were part of an ambulance corps in our area. I'm just a driver. I can obviously say it's a volunteer corps. I can say, I, look, I'm, I'm not going to do any Sundays, and it makes all kinds of sense. I can't run out. But I have other people in our congregation, and somebody needs to cover. There's, there's, when, when many of these corps, you're, you're limited on how many people are, are going to be in them. And so we have people that they're, they're part of their duty, they're going to be on Sunday. And, and what I appreciate is they're in the church service. They're, they're trying to be there. But if an ambulance call comes, we're going to hear, hear a ring in the auditorium, and they're going to go out the back door and and we're going to pray for them as they go. Uh, they're they're serving, they're they're observing Sunday as best they can for worship. But they're but they're realizing that I I I need to also be helpful in case a person's in an emergency situation. So now notice what Paul says next: He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. So if you feel like no, I need to take Sunday as a special day, or I need to take. Uh, Saturday is a special. I'm gonna I'm gonna worship the Lord, uh, and and I'm not gonna do any work on that day. Uh, you have the right to do that, and 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 if you feel like you should, then you better do that. You better follow your conscience. But what you should not do is assume that everyone is a little below you if they're not doing the same thing you're doing. That's Paul's point. Notice how he puts it again. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He's saying, look, here's a guy in good conscience. He feels like I need to set aside Saturday. I'm not going to work at all. Or I'm going to set aside Sunday. I'm not going to work at all. Another person says, I don't see that in the scripture. It's a doubtful thing. I I don't really see that uh, taught as a doctrine, and it is not. Clearly, he's saying some people are going to view it one way, and some people are going to view another. And he said, you need to be convinced in your own mind. He's, not, he's giving liberty. He is not giving a commandment that you have to keep it a certain way. He goes on. He who eats, he goes back to the whole vegetarian thing again. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. So to the person who has meat in front of them, and they thank the Lord for the meat, the turkey, the, the, the lamb, the, the fish, whatever it is. He eats and he's praising God, thanking God for that food. He who does not eat doesn't say, well, I, I just in good conscience, I, I, I feel like I, for my health reasons or whatever reason, I, I just feel sick if I eat an animal. Okay, you don't eat. He does not eat and he gives God thanks. So he's doing it to the Lord. But the point is, is don't assume everyone's got to do it your way. Don't assume that you're more spiritual because it, you did it your way, and everybody who doesn't do it your way is a little less than you. That's not that's not godly. That's exactly what the the Pharisees were doing in Jesus' day. For, now here's 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 another point we need to think about. None of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. So I do have to think about my influence. 
So if I'm a believer, a Christian, and I'm living in a community, say a Jewish community, and everybody's observing the Sabbath, um, I probably am not going to go outside and play with my kids on Saturday and just say, well, I've got liberty to do this as a Christian. I don't think I'm going to do that. Or let's say that someone has, a, again, a certain type of meat that they think. They, maybe they think that ham is, is, is wrong. Then don't eat it. And if I'm, um, if I'm eating with a person who honestly believes that ham is wrong, I'm not going to put ham in front of them. I wouldn't do that to them because I'm tempting them to go against their conscience, and that's wrong. And Paul will get into that. I won't take the time, but if you want to keep reading in Romans 14, he'll talk about that very thing. So if you think something is wrong for you, then certainly follow that. But don't assume that you're better than other people because you do something that they're not doing or you won't do something that they are doing. Don't make that judgment on these doubtful things, on these things that quite honestly, Romans 14 clearly lays out two issues. One is the one day above another. The other is is whether or not you eat meat. And both of those issues are called doubtful issues. So don't tell me that it's those aren't doubtful. That's, that's our first problem of people who are focusing on the insignificant is you don't see it as insignificant. You, you're, not, you're not seeing it clearly from the Scripture. Matter of fact, let me just take you to Colossians chapter 2 and read to you verse um, 15 and following. Just a couple verses here in Colossians. Paul's dealing with the same thing again. He says, "Having speaking of Jesus, let me back up to verse 14, okay? Colossians 2.14. I'm jumping in mid-sentence, but I think you'll get the point. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, or these were ordinances or laws that were against us, which was contrary to us, and having taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And that is, when Jesus died on the cross, many of these um, restrictions that were in the Old Testament law were fulfilled in Christ's crucifixion. Having disarmed, that's why we don't offer animal sacrifices anymore. We don't need to, because Jesus Christ has fulfilled all of those pictures. But let's be honest, again, the God that created those animals was the one that instituted those sacrifices. Matter of fact, God offered the very first animal sacrifice when he clothed Adam and Eve in the, after they'd sinned against him in the Garden of Eden. He could have used some other fabric. He didn't. He chose to, to, to use the skins of animals. He offered the very first blood sacrifice because of sin. So again, he, what we're seeing though is when Jesus dies on the cross, those animal sacrifices have been fulfilled. So there are certain parts of, the, of, of those Old Testament laws that are no longer applicable. We're, we're, thank God we're not under them. Keep reading. Verse 15, having disarmed principalities and powers, those would be spiritual um, beings, like, like uh, de- uh, demons, like Satan himself. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. His crucifixion, I do not believe, was seen by Satan as what it was really to be about, and that is to, to die for the sins of the world. I think Satan was all about getting Jesus crucified and was humiliated there because his very attempts to destroy the Son of God uh, were actually used against him to save the man, uh, save our souls, which he uh, would never have allowed if he didn't know what was going on. Verse 16. So, let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths. So, to say certain uh, foods are unclean, to say that certain uh, uh, days of the week you know, uh, are 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 sacred that all of us have to observe them, 
he says, don't let anyone judge you according to these things, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. So again, he specifically points out that Sabbaths are not an issue that you should judge each other on. So when Jesus is talking to these religious leaders about vain worship, one of the things that they're going to do is they're going to focus on insignificant issues. Let me give you a couple other thoughts about when, when you're in that mode, when you're focusing on something that is not significant, not only, are, are unfortunately, is you're not going to see it very well. You're, not going to, you're going to have a hard time seeing that in your own life because what, is, what we're telling you is insignificant, according to the Scriptures, you're not going to think is insignificant. Number two, you will be much harder on others than you are yourself. You'll be much more judgmental of other people when, you're, when your heart is hypocritical. Back in, in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 4, again, this is a sermon that we'll get to, Lord willing, eventually in this series. But Jesus said this. He said, For they, speaking of these hypocritical <clears throat> religious leaders, they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. The idea is you can be very hard on someone else. Oh, you're not, you know, this person obviously is not godly. He's eating meat. This person's obviously not godly. Uh, uh, he's not worshiping on the right day. He's, 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 he's working. He's, he's doing this wrong. In Jesus' uh, situation, uh, well, Jesus can't be the Son of God. Why, his disciples aren't washing their hands according to the tradition of the elders. A third characteristic when you're focusing on minor issues, is you will compare yourself to others out of pride. You'll, you'll, you'll measure yourself. And because, again, because you, you do this particular thing, maybe you memorize more verses of Scripture than somebody else does, or you know all the books of the Bible by heart in the right order, or whatever it is that you think is your little, your little niche, I went to Christian university or college. I, I went to seminary. I, 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 I'm a leg up on people. Um, that is not the Spirit of God. Matter of fact, you know what the Bible tells us? Let each esteem others better than themselves. That's the spirit of a godly person. The spirit of a godly person is a person that can learn from a baby Christian. Matter of fact, I, 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 don't, I don't know about you, but I love to hear a baby Christian pray. Many times, you know, they don't want to pray around the pastor. Oh, I don't know what to say, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, you, if you know how to talk, you can talk to God. And I love to hear a person who doesn't have all the, the, uh, the Christianese, you know what I'm saying, the, 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 the terms that some of us come up with and, and, and have because we've, we've been saved a little longer. And they don't know all the terms. And, and they're just talking to the Lord. It's so refreshing. Oh, please, please understand that we all ought to be able to learn from each other. Um, one day I was, I was teaching um, on this series. And um, I, was, I was showing an example. Uh, and I had a PowerPoint slide of, of some refugees. I think they were World War II refugees. And, they, and they, this person had a cart. And, and basically all of that man's um, worldly goods that he could get into that cart, it was quite stacked, was in that as he's running from the enemy, trying to save his life, but also trying to save some of the things that he had. And so I challenged the people. I said, what, what would you put in your cart? Well, I, I, of course, I made a list of a number of things that you know, you'd want in your cart. 
My point was is that everything is uh, that that we can throw on the card is is can be lost because it's it's physical and and that the spiritual things are more important. But it was interesting that a young fellow, he's maybe I don't know six seven years old, came up to me after the service, and I didn't understand him right away. He said, Pastor, he said, you left out the most important thing. And I said, what was that, Ian? And he said, you left out the Bible. You didn't have the Bible. In the, and and uh, it took me a, minute, a little bit to understand what he meant. He was saying in, the, in your cart that you had, well, that was a good point. In the next service, I, 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 at that time we were having two services. It was before the pandemic broke out. And the next service, I, I mentioned that. I said, you know, uh, little Ian came up to me after the first service, and he said, you left out the most important thing, that was the Bible. By the way, somebody else was noticing the same thing in the second service, but I just thought it was interesting. We can learn from each other. The proud person is too busy uh, comparing himself out of pride. He's much harder on, on others than he is on himself. He, he has a hard time seeing that his minor issue isn't a minor issue, he, uh, 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 that it is a minor issue. He, has, he thinks it's a major issue. Number four... You'll, look, you, you'll make your faith look ridiculous to a lost world. When you focus in on things that don't matter. Now think back on Jesus' example in, in, in his other message about the guys making broad their phylacteries. You know that piece of, of leather that you would put around your head with packets of scripture on it? Now I can understand if you, um, uh, you know, it would be kind of neat. To see somebody, and I and I, I believe I have seen people with phylacteries on, and and to think, well, you know, you know, if if that's helping that man to think about, I need to obey the Lord. You know, I, I'm not against that. But then, let's say you have a neighbor, and we'll call him Phylactery Phil, and Phylactery Phil just he wants to make the biggest one in the neighborhood, and 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 that's the thing that consumes him is making one bigger. And everybody else. Now, if, I, if, if I'm not part of that religious group, I'm looking at that and I'm just thinking, I'm, I'm kind of laughing to myself. And here's what, here's what I am, what's going through my mind, and that is I don't want to be like that guy. I don't want to be like the guy who is just trying to show off for his neighbors and have the biggest phylactery. That's what Jesus is talking about. It's, you're actually looking ridiculous in front of a lost world. Now, uh, there's something that's even worse than that. And again, I'm, I'm in the Matthew 23 passage, I'm looking at verse uh, 25 and 26. Jesus says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Again, these are conservative religious leaders. For you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. He's saying, oh, you try to look so good on the outside, but inside, inside, you're filthy. You're a mess. There are many uh, of us that have run into people like this. And they, again, they're not just in Jesus' day. Think of the Christian person that's all about trying to impress you. You know, I, I, you know just how spiritual they're supposed to be. And how they won't do this, and they won't do. That. And again, I, I I'm all for for having standards, but I am not for trying to make that a um, a uh, 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 something that you brag about, and something that makes me better than you. And I'll, I'll tell you that some people take offense anyway. You know, if if, if let's say that I, again, I don't I don't drink alcohol, and I don't believe in it. All right, I don't try to beat people up over it. Um, uh, one of my sons is is in the business world. And um, 
And and so when when someone offers him a, a drink as he's out in a business engagement, he'll say no, no, thank you. And often they will ask a question, why? And he, it's interesting. He'll say, well, do you really want to know? <laughs> and often they say yes. And and then he will go into an explanation of how he wants his mind to be clear and etc. And and. But they've asked him for an explanation as to why he does what he does, and 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 honestly, they they when he, when he's done talking about it, it makes all kinds of sense to them, and they they agree with him. But but what happens is, unfortunately, is that is that many times we're we're doing things only to be to impress people in our own little religious clique, our own little church, or our own little community. And and to be honest with you, we're not worried about God. And people who are on the outside, they see it. They see the hypocrisy very easily, and and it offends them, and it actually makes them d- 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 want to run from what we supposedly believe. You'll not only um, make your faith look ridiculous when you're focused on the minors, but you'll also be distracted from an honest evaluation of your own heart. These mal- these men, tragically, many of these people who, who opposed Jesus never never turned, never came around, never accepted him as Lord and Savior. And in spite of their great religious strivings and all of their all of the wonderful things that they might have done, they're in hell today because they rejected the Savior. And it, you know, it's what's so sad is that here was their opportunity for many of these guys to actually be honest with themselves and say, you know what, I don't know for certain where I'm going to spend eternity. I I I know I've sinned like 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 other people have sinned. I I need forgiveness. Here's this Rabbi Jesus of Nazareth. This man is, is, is obviously healing people, helping people. Maybe I ought to ask him some questions. But they weren't interested in that. They were interested in finding fault. They were distracted from an honest evaluation of their own heart by focusing on what they didn't like about, about the Son of God. And it, if that isn't the truth today, and if you're lost and you've been one of those critical people, and you can find fault with every Christian that comes down your path. Can I say that God doesn't save perfect people? He saves sinful people, but you need to swallow your pride and be honest enough to look into your own heart and be willing to seek the Lord yourself. Here's what how Jesus puts this. Verse 25, Well, one of you scribes and Pharisees, you're cleansing the outside of the dish. So you're, But you're not concerned about the inside. You're not evaluating your own heart. And there's another uh, vain. So vain worship focuses on the insignificant rather than the significant. Um, secondly, it's it's concerned about uh, it's unconcerned about applying God's clear commands. And I wish I had time to develop it. I'm going to have to to get back to this. But let me just read you the verses. Matthew 15. I'm in verse three down to verse six. They've, they've just accused Jesus of, of, of his disciples violating the traditions of how they're supposed to wash their hands. Jesus answered and said to them, Why do you transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift from God, a gift to God, excuse me, then he need not honor his father or his mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God by no, of no effect by your tradition. And there are many religious leaders that do this today as well, and that is they, they will put more weight on what 
the, the church that they belong to has said that the Bible says rather than what the Bible actually says itself. And Jesus is saying that your man-made stuff, the stuff that's not in the Word of God but is your interpretation, many times those interpretations go against the very Word of God itself, and Jesus clearly landed on which side he was going to be on that issue, and that is you're disobeying God when you're disobeying his Word, no matter what your tradition says. May I just encourage you to understand that when God has spoken in his word, we are obligated to do that. More than just follow whatever my denomination says. Well, I'll have to stop there today. But let me just encourage you to think about what Jesus has already said. Oh, we can focus on these minor things like, like uh, these, these critical religious leaders did. And Jesus called them out on that. He said, you know, you're, you're, you're focusing on tradition. You haven't, even, you haven't even obeyed the word of God and the clear command. We'll talk about that, Lord willing, next week. May God help us to stop this critical spirit that often keeps and shuts our eyes to the, the, the truth that God would like to share to, with us. Think of these men, many of whom very well uh, may be in hell today because they found ways, excuses, not to listen to the Son of God himself. And... You, uh, my listener, may have people in your life, and you know they're not perfect, and they and they do lots of things wrong, but they truly know the Lord, and you probably know that. Would you swallow enough your pride enough to be willing to listen? Listen to them again. Read the Word of God yourself, and don't just throw out what God has to say to you because of a critical spirit. And God delivers from that. Father, bless these thoughts to our hearts, we pray. Work in the hearts of those who are listening for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a spiritual need and would like to speak to someone who can help you, you can email us at help at CalkinsBaptistChurch.com. Calkins is spelled C-A-L-K-I-N-S. Again, that email address is help at CalkinsBaptistChurch.com. Pastor Jones began the study of the messages of Christ in our church about two years ago, so if you would like to see the original video sermons of this ongoing series, you can find them on our Facebook page at Calkins Baptist Church. Under the video tab, there's a separate playlist for the Messages of Christ series. If you would like to attend one of our services in person, we currently have one Sunday morning service at 9 a.m. in our family center. At this time, we do not have Sunday school classes or a nursery, but we plan to restore some of our children's ministries, so check our website for any changes. Our Sunday and Wednesday evening services both start at 6.30 p.m. and are held in our normal church sanctuary. If any of you would like to share this radio message with a friend, you can find a link to our podcast on our Facebook page. Just look for a Radio Bold icon on our feed. As we leave you today, we pray that this broadcast has been a beacon of hope in your life to point you to the light of the world, Jesus Christ. May God's richest blessings come upon you. Thanks for listening.